0: Did you know that if you live an average lifetime in this country, let's just say 82 years its the average, you will have eaten about, let me do the math, calculate, calculate, 82, 365 times three meals a day, maybe a little snack, uh, 90,000 meals. What do you have to say for yourself? 90,000 meals, friends. Jesus lived 33 years. So he had a lot less earthly meals than we do. But he changed the world by how and with whom he ate those meals. In fact, I would argue that you and I are probably sitting here today because of how and with whom Jesus ate you know the phrase I'm sorry that's just how it's done around here or this is the way we've always done it Jesus was born into a world just like that and as Jeff taught last week Jesus said this might be how things have always been done, but I am here to bring a new way. It's not the way of the culture, and it's not the way of the religious world, but it is the way of the kingdom of my Father. It is the world as God desires it. Jesus offered, and he is still offering, a third way of life. He taught it, and he lived it. And he broke almost all of the social and religious norms of his day, which caused the political leaders, but mostly the religious leaders, to be on edge. (laughs) That's an understatement. So on edge that they killed him. And one of the most profound arenas in which Jesus pushed back on the this is the way we've always done it mindset was through who he chose to eat and drink with. Who he shared maybe one of the 45,000 meals he got on this earth. You see, Jesus came into a religious world where who you ate with signified... If you were a religious Jew, it signified who was in and who was out with God, who you ate a meal with, who sat at your table. And Jesus' fellow Jews, remember Jesus was born into the Jewish faith, Jesus' fellow Jews forgot that they were chosen by God to be a blessing to the world, And they bought the lie, such a dangerous lie. They bought the lie that their status as God's chosen people meant that they were now the gatekeepers for who could be in and who must be out of God's kingdom. And the dinner table in the ancient Middle East was often the place where this gatekeeping was best demonstrated. So listen, if a Jewish person in good religious standing with God, meaning they obeyed the Torah, they went to the synagogue, they um, uh, did the right sacrifices, they kept themselves religiously clean, if a Jew in good standing shared a table, shared a meal with you, it meant that they deemed you a person in good standing also, right with God. And there were very strict regulations then about who a good Jew should not include at their table, okay? And that would be Gentiles, non-Jewish people. I'm betting that's 98% of us. Women, hello, 50% of the world. I see you out there. Anyone with physical defects, the blind, the lame, the deaf, lepers, and then just a broad category of humanity called sinners, People like tax collectors or adulterers or prostitutes, right? You exclude enough people and you got pretty easy meal cleanup. <laughs> Can I get a witness? So these excluded folks were considered religiously and morally unclean, either through birth, right? They were born a Gentile or born a woman or people born blind, or through behavior. So it's either birth or behavior, what, the, what we did, what they did, tax collectors, prostitutes, etc. And these people were not just excluded from the Jewish table, but they were told they were excluded from God. No chance. So religious leaders sat in their high and holy supper table, pure and righteous in their own eyes, right with God, right with each other, Ain't that great? And all the rest sat at their tables. Rejects, unclean, immoral, not right with God at all. And in a world bent toward this kind of exclusion, toward this kind of division, Jesus made the supper table his pulpit. And he preached a third way. A way of hospitality to all, a way of welcome, a way of inclusion. And in fact, I dare you to read the Gospels and notice how often he did this and how blatantly he did this. He did it so much that the religious leaders called him a lush, a drunk, a pig and a friend of all the wrong people. It's right here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter seven, verse 34, this is Jesus speaking. He said, the son of man, that was kind of his name for himself, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you, religious people, say, here's a glutton, and a drunkard, and a friend, of here's some of these labels, tax collectors and sinners. Welcome to the world, Jesus. We're just going to call you names. But recklessly, intentionally, provocatively, Jesus oversteps the cultural, social, and religious boundaries of his day by reaching out to those labeled sinful and unclean outside the reach of God and by eating and drinking with them at the same table. He did this all the time. He's offering them the grace and the acceptance and the forgiveness and the blessing of his father. This sent the religious elite into a murderous tailspin. They hated this so much. Here's just one of these stories. From the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. This is right out of the block of Jesus' ministry. He's not waiting until he has influence or authority. He just goes. Here's the story. As he walked along, this is Jesus... He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Okay? Tax collector. The kind of Jew that works for the oppressive, occupying Roman government, overtaxing his fellow Jews, and then, you know, bilking a little bit of that money for himself. So here's Jesus. He approaches Levi at the tax collector's booth, and he says to him, follow me. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus, here's the clue, was having dinner at Levi's house, the tax collector, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, these are the religious, high, holy mucky mucks, okay, they saw him eating. With the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners, right? This isn't the way we do it around here. And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. In Jesus' day, what happened here in this story was absolutely unthinkable. Okay, remember, who you ate with, especially as a Jewish rabbi, made a social and religious statement, a statement about who you perceived to be in or out with God, about who God favored, and about who was too unclean, too unrighteous, too flawed, too sinful to ever hope to be in God's presence. Now Jesus apparently came for people who were unaware that maybe you shouldn't throw a kegger for Jesus. Okay, I'm thinking this wasn't a tea party at Levi's house, friends. When he eats a meal at Levi the tax collector's house with a bunch of other tax collectors and random sinners... Jesus is essentially extending the peace, trust, brotherhood, and acceptance to the most despised class of Jewish people in his day. It is hard for me to imagine anything more offensive than what Jesus did in the story to the religious mind. And it is hard for me to imagine anything more appealing to outsiders, sinners, and rejects. Jesus used the supper table to erase the boundaries around who got to be in the people of God. And he included all the wrong people. Now sometimes Jesus ate with religious leaders. Don't get me wrong, he did. But his point was this, in who he ate with. Clean or dirty, saint or sinner, in or out, God's or not God's. I do not care what other people label you because, with me, in my Father's kingdom, none of these earthly labels apply. Everyone is invited to my table. Because, because, because Jesus knew that the only way for a human being to become clean, really clean, spiritually clean was to pull up a seat at his table and to eat the bread and to drink the wine that Jesus had to offer. Jesus, God in the flesh, chose to eat and drink with all the religious rejects of his day meaning he accepted them, he included them, and he even blessed them. What a radical picture of the ridiculous, scandalous, undeserved, unearned grace of God through Christ. In a world where the supper table symbolized exclusion, Jesus came and said, I know that's the way it has always been done, but I'm bringing a new way, a third way, the way of the kingdom. And in my kingdom, anyone can come eat at my table with me. And when they come, I will make them clean by my presence, welcomed and accepted by my Father. It is what I came to this earth to do. It is what I want my followers to do as well. And it would be so easy right now for me to say to you, to all of us, here's what we need to do. We need to just have more people over for dinner. (laughs) And you know, for some of us, that's true. We need to be people of the table, just like Jesus. But I want to push us for just these last few minutes, I want to push us to think bigger to think more broadly, hopefully more powerfully, about the hospitality of our hearts. And I wanna do that by just pondering two words, two concepts, two ideas, that should stay front of mind for all of us who want to follow Jesus in this kind of third way of hospitality. Two words, the first one is gratitude. All of us, every day, if we sit at the table of Jesus, should be stunned and amazed and humbled that we have a seat there. We didn't earn it. We sit there by the grace of God alone. The bread and the wine are our reminders of that fact. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how irreligious or sinful or unworthy any of us feel, there is a seat with our name on it at the symbolic supper table of Jesus. That's what all these stories in the New Testament about Jesus eating with people are about. We miss the whole point if we just think they're about food and about meals. See, because because of what Jesus did and still does today, there is now nothing that makes us unworthy of sitting at his table, of being Jesus' friend, of being fully accepted by Jesus' Father. We didn't have to be clean first to pull up a chair. Jesus says, I just want you to come take your seat next to me. Accept my friendship. Believe in my forgiveness and acceptance. Eat the bread, which is my body broken for you. Drink the wine, which is my bloodshed. And allow me, allow my presence, allow my power, my grace, not your own efforts, to make you clean and whole and right. And friends, if we don't understand that our seat at the table of Jesus is pure gift, we will become just as exclusive and closed off as the religious folks that Jesus had to sharply correct. Every earthly meal we enjoy. I don't know how many I have left. Do you? I mean, I think maybe I might have 30,000 if I play my cards right. If I eat my spinach, maybe 45,000. I'm going to go for it. Every meal we eat now can be a reminder to be grateful for our seat at the wedding feast of the Lamb, which is what the scriptures call this kind of eternal banquet that we can share. And maybe our new supper prayer, even just for a while, needs to be, thank you, Jesus, that I have a seat at your table. Amen. May I never take it for granted. When we ponder Jesus' third way kind of hospitality that offers us a seat at that table, we should be filled with gratitude. But some of us, me included, also need to rethink our attitude when it comes to who else gets to sit at the supper table of Jesus. See, it's never too late for us to learn and grow and change in our thinking. When Jesus accepted that invitation to eat supper at Levi's house, the tax collector's house, he was essentially saying to the religious elite, you are not in charge of the guest list of those invited to the feast of the table of my father. It's partially why they killed him. You're not in charge of the guest list. And I think he says the same to all of us today. To us, Orchard Hill Church. You see, too often those of us who have a seat at the table start to believe we can decide who else gets a seat and who can't, right? oh, we need to be careful of straying into this kind of territory. Jesus says to us, this is my table. This is my party. This is my guest list. These are my invitations. Because if you and I, sinful and ridiculous as we are, are able to have a seat at Jesus' table, or at least to receive an invitation, then we must be the kind of people who exclude no one else from being able, if they want to, to take a seat and eat the bread and drink the wine of Jesus. Peter Van Breemen, who was a German theologian, tells a story of a woman who went into a restaurant, this was in Germany, she went into a restaurant for lunch, and, and it was that kind of restaurant that had those kind of high-top tables where you could almost stand up, small little high tables to eat a quick lunch. And she bought a soup and a sausage sandwich, which sounds very German to me, I think it's a brat, but she bought a soup and a, and a brat, and she carried those to an empty table, and she put her purse underneath, and she went back to the counter to get a, a, a spoon for her soup. And when she came back to her table, there was a man, obviously from another country, he didn't look like her, who was at her table eating her soup. (laughs) And at first she was shocked, right? I mean, you're just like, what? And then she was furious. Within seconds, she made this snap decision. If this man was going to be so bold as to stand at her table and eat her soup, then by God, so was she. So she stood at the opposite side of the table, and she began eating from the same bowl. (laughs) But instead of being embarrassed or intimidated, the man just continued to eat. And he didn't speak German, so he couldn't understand what the woman was saying to him, as she was, who knows what she was saying to him. But he kept a smile on his face, as they just ate the soup together. (laughs) Seeming to want to provoke her further, the man offered her half of her own sandwich, (laughs) which she took. I mean, it was hers. And when they finished this bizarre shared meal, he, still smiling, offered his hand across the, hand, the table in a handshake. And still flabbergasted, you know how you get in these moments where you don't know why you're doing what you're doing? The woman shook his hand. And then the man left the restaurant. And when the woman looked under her table for her purse, it was gone. She knew it. She knew it. This guy looked different, he was a thief. And as she scanned the room to call out for help, she noticed a table nearby with a bowl of now cold soup and a sausage sandwich and her purse under the table. It never occurred to her that she had gone to the wrong table. It never occurred to her that she was eating another man's lunch. And I think Jesus asks his followers today, are we going to be more like the surprised German lady when it comes to tables, symbolically and literally? Are we going to be paranoid, inhospitable, so ready to protect what we think is ours, so ready to assume the worst? about other human beings, especially those who aren't like us, right? Let's just keep them away. Or are we going to be more like the guy who just seems happy to be at a table at all? who makes room for this weird, angry lady who doesn't speak his language and now who is somehow eating his food and, and who then offers her not only his soup and sandwich with a smile, but ends the encounter with a hospitable handshake. Are we gonna be people of the third way when it comes to Jesus' table? This is a big question, friends. We believe, Orchard Hill Church, we believe this is one of the questions we need to start to answer because we want Orchard Hill Church to be filled with people who answer that question about are we going to be people of the third way when it comes to hospitality? We want to be filled with a church of people who answer that question with the resounding yes. We need to remember gratitude. To live in humble amazement that we have a seat at the banquet table of God. And we need to check our attitude about who we believe can have a seat at the table next to us. This is kind of how I picture it in my mind. This is the statement I want to take with me in my life going forward if there's room at Jesus' table for me, then I am confident. This is how I want to approach people in the world. I am confident there is room at the table for you, and I will scooch over. I had to look up the word scooch. That's it right there. We need to be people of the scooch. I will scooch over and make space, whoever you are, whatever you've done, because this is Jesus' table and he welcomes you. And I do too. This is the kind of church Orchard Hill Church is going to be. We invite you to be part of it because we believe it is Jesus' way. Let's pray. God, I love how you use the most common arena of our life, the supper table. I love how your son, Jesus, used it as his pulpit to preach a new gospel, a gospel not of exclusion, but of inclusion. A God not of labeling people as too far gone, but a a table of deep welcome. A table that doesn't say, you can't come here till you're cleaned up. But that says, come all of you who are dirty, who are sinners, who are too far gone. Come, eat the, the bread, drink the cup, Jesus says, and I will make you clean. Father, would you make us people of third way hospitality in this divisive world? For we believe that people are desperate to be welcomed and included and celebrated at the supper table of the Lamb of God, Jesus. Amen.